Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, striving to be better every day through open-minded conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. We have some returning guests on this episode, Jake and Kayleen Coffin. Now, if you forgot, Jake and Kayleen are both educators in Arizona, And I wanted to have a conversation with them about different models for Christian education. Pulling on their own experiences in the world of Christian education, we discussed some differences between Christian homeschooling, church schools, and private Christian schools. We also get into a discussion about what makes a curriculum Christian versus non-Christian. For example, do Christians really teach math differently than non-Christians? Is that even possible? And if it is, what would that look like? And more broadly speaking, we discuss how Christian values might intersect with other school subjects, assuming they do at all. Ultimately, I think we ended our conversation with more questions than answers, but I think we're opening up a conversation that Christian educators need to be having on a broader scale. And I definitely hope to continue this conversation with Jake and Kayleen in future episodes. If you have thoughts or questions about today's topic, I'd love to hear from you. My email is in the show notes. Thank you once again to everyone who has subscribed to the podcast. We really appreciate your support. And if you haven't subscribed yourself, please consider doing so. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Or hello, Jake and Kayleen. <laughs> hello. Hello. Welcome back to the show. It's great to have you guys on for the second time. Woohoo. I'm trying to think. You guys might be some of the first uh, people to have multiple appearances on the podcast. So, congratulations. Nice. Man, wow. <laughs> By popular demand. Absolutely. I thought uh, sure. our, la- <laughs> our, last, our last conversation was really good. And I just have other things I want to talk to you guys about regarding education and Christian education in particular. I think we maybe kind of touched on it in our last conversation. I can't quite remember, but either way, I think we're going to jump into more in depth, a conversation about different school models. I know that you guys, I'm pretty sure grew up and like went to school in different school models. And then I went to school like at a church school. And then I teach in a public school and you guys teach in a different situation. So I was curious to start off by getting your guys' experience, maybe where you went to school or what type of school you went to and what type of schools you've taught at and kind of have a conversation about pros and cons of the different models and maybe have a discussion about if there is an ideal model or if it does or does not matter, at least from a Christian perspective. So I don't know, Jake, I can maybe start with you. Where did, what kind of school did you go to? And then you have teaching experience as well. So 
as a student, where did you go? And then as a teacher, where have you taught? Nice. Yeah. As a student, I actually was homeschooled nearly all of my education, uh, except for fourth grade, where I went to a public school for a semester. <laughs> nice. Um, and I believe my parents actually gave me the choice in my freshman year, you know, um, about going to going to school. Like, I think they, they offered for me to go to Sienega or something. And I declined because I kind of got used to the kind of cushy lifestyle of being a homeschooler. You know, you wake up at, you know, seven, start at eight, and by lunch you're done. I mean, I kind of liked that because you just work through it. You know, there's nobody pacing you. So, um, and that actually made uh, it kind of interesting because my only actual, like, personal classroom experience didn't happen to me until I was in college. And so, I guess it was kind of, it was a little bit weird when I first started teaching at uh, a private school, at a Christian school. Um, well, no, I guess I had, I had been teaching in the public school at an after-school program. Um, I've been running a theater program uh, after-school-wise in some public schools and at several public schools in San Diego. Uh, but when I became a classroom teacher, uh, that was kind of interesting because I wasn't aware of a lot of the day-to-day classroom norms, stereotypes, what have you. So <laughs> I, it was kind of funny. I learned the classroom vibes on the other end of the classroom and not as a student. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now I, uh, I teach at a charter school, my first year teaching at a charter school, which is um, – it's a classical education model charter school, which is actually sounds weird, but if homeschooling, like if my experience in homeschooling were to be copied and pasted onto a classroom format, that's kind of what this classical education, very Charlotte Mason based charter school is like. Nice. Okay, cool. Wow. It's actually funny that you bring up classical education. I didn't realize we might be able to talk about that. That's something I've been (laughs) out and kind of looking into recently. Um, I don't know. if. Oh, I love it. I I dig it. I don't know if you're aware of the Dorothy Sayers essay that kind of is usually referred to as kind of like the, I don't know, the the impetus for bringing classical education back to the United States. I don't know if you've heard about that. Uh, no, but I'm going to as yeah, soon as we're off this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's this uh, there's this essay from this non-educational person in like 1947, and her name's Dorothy Sayers, and she basically just writes an essay like, "Hey, our schools teach subjects like we teach these different separate subjects, and we're not doing a good job of teaching." learning skills and thinking skills maybe we should go back to this medieval model that was based in the classical era and use subjects to teach uh thinking and learning skills so that we go deep and teach kids how to learn and think logically and then how to communicate effectively and then they can just take those skills into 
whatever specialization they want to if they decide to go deeper. And so, um, man, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's like a 20 page essay. Um, but yeah, I was, I was reading it this morning. I haven't finished it yet, but yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So you were homeschooled and then, and now you're teaching at a, uh, classical charter school. Is it Christian in name or at least? No. Okay. Ironically, it is, uh, it is founded by Christian people. Um, but it is not uh, Christian in function or name or anything like that. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. And then did you use a particular curriculum all through your homeschooling or did that kind of get pieced together? As kind you- of more pieced together, I think, is how my parents did it. I mean, it was towards the end. I think it became pretty strictly a Becca. Oh, yeah. Um, but early on though, it was all over the place. I mean, I had Saxon math, um, a company called Christian Liberty press did a lot of my social studies. Um, did not like that by the way, (laughs) I I wouldn't necessarily recommend them to anyone. Um, and then a Becca. Yeah. Good old Becca. Yeah. That's, uh, the the church school in, in my area, uh, uses a Becca and somewhat recently switched to a Becca, um, all the way through. So, wow. Yeah. Pretty familiar with them. Yeah. What about you, Kayleen? So, well, while we're on the Becca track, that's what I'm using right now to try and homeschool, but it was more because my mom was very familiar with it when she homeschooled us for a quick minute. Um, like we homeschooled in middle school, but then I think it came from the church school because they had used it way back in the day with us. Um, at least when I was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in a church school with Daniel and (laughs) yeah, I think we were, yeah, we went to the same school through like, it was like, I was in second grade before you moved. Um, Maybe you were in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I was going into fourth grade when we moved or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Uh, And then when we moved, we did, we were homeschooled for like the two years that we were in Arizona. We moved to North Carolina. We did another church school, but much smaller than the one before. Um, I'm not really sure what curriculum they used, to be honest. I can remember the pages of the books and I remember what they look like, but that's about it. And then uh, going to college, I graduated from that school and then, yeah, did college. And I've been teaching solely at Christian schools, mostly because I assumed, oh, well, there's so much craziness going on in the world, especially early graduate me. Um, I decided to do that, like go into Christian school, but um but now I really wish that I would have had a time where I was in the public school because I see that there's a lot of strengths for teaching that comes out of teachers who are in the public schools. And I think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now I'm go ahead. I was just saying, yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. And now I'm homeschooling, but even within the past month, we've had a teacher leave at a at a school uh, near me. And so I've been doing a class with them where I go in a couple days a week and I'm doing things online for them. And yeah, so that's my experience. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I've just been, I've been thinking a lot about different school models and I actually had an interesting conversation with 
one of my colleagues at the public school I teach at, he's also a Christian. Um, and he was very much in favor of the public school model. Um, and he had a lot to say about how the public school um, environment gives opportunity for lots of different students and people of different worldviews to come together and have conversations from different perspectives, maybe different religious perspectives, maybe different family life perspectives, maybe different political perspectives. And he was talking about how important it is that Christians, instead of running away from those kinds of conversations or um, being kind of like belligerently trying to shut down other perspectives, showing that like we Christians can show the love of Christ and um, like godly characteristics in how we engage with those conversations. And so I thought that was interesting. But then something that I've been kind of, um, I don't know troubled with or just thinking about is kind of the 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 underlying worldview of public school and I've been doing a lot of reading about this and um, I actually gave a talk about it um, at a church conference recently but just this idea that the whole public school model is basically founded on non-christian values and specifically it's founded on humanistic ideals where, we assume that all the kids are inherently good. Um, we assume that the purpose of education is to make quality educated citizens so we can participate in democracy. Um, and this idea that because humans are inherently good and because education is part of their moral development, that people, that we are good people through education, that education is like a human right. Like, the government owes me a, an education so that I can turn out to be a good person and be economically valuable. And it's just, it's kind of just built on this whole like human man centered idea, which is kind of unchristian <laughs> on its face. And, the, and I've just, I've just noticed that in my experience teaching in the public school, um, Kayleen, you're right. Like you do have to have a little bit of thick skin. You have to be efficient. You have to be, kind of on your A game when you're working with large volumes of students, a, a large array of academic ability, a large array of personalities and stuff like that. Like, yeah, like you have to be sharp. Um, but then I also noticed that like, oh, if we are a public school, we have to let in every student, every family of every worldview, and we have to somehow teach and discipline and navigate this process within the space where all the worldviews overlap, <laughs> which what I've noticed is like falls into like translates to like the least common denominator, like the lowest standard possible to keep the class running and keep things from going up in flames is like the standard by which we operate. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, uh, as a Christian, I'm happy to be there and I love being involved with my community but there's this dissonance with the moral structure and the discipline structure uh, structure that I'm upholding that kind of is at odds with my personal views. Um, mm. So I don't know. Sorry. That was a lot of talking about public. School. No, I, you're the, the, what you mentioned about the view about, you know, education being like an almost kind of like a false logical jump a little bit, like a logical fallacy there. But like, 
education is what's gonna make you a moral good upstanding citizen which i mean you just you know pointing at a just a few people in history who were like highly educated evil people you know <laughs> right that i think uh, many people would would agree hitler for example and be like yeah okay so that's not a good person highly educated though um i was just talking to somebody the other day you know a, a fellow teacher in our church uh and we both kind of came to the realization it's like the irony of teachers is that teachers um their impact in society is not really neither of us really felt like we were making a great academic impact on students lives because the kids who do well academically have already chosen to do well academically <laughs> and are and are doing their end of the bargain to do it and sure i help them a little bit but I'm also already feeding a fire that they already started, hmm. right? Like they, they have a love of learning that I'm able to help. But I've more often encountered as a teacher the kind of harsh reality that you, you might turn one student in years of teaching from hating education to at least being willing to, to at least learn a few things. You know, like you'll, you'll get them to be like, oh, okay. Like, all right, I, I can do this. But it's very one, it's kind of a one in a thousand kind of, you know, opportunity that you have there with, with those kids. I feel like teachers, which is why I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to love classical education is I find way more value in the holistic education of a child as a teacher like similar to the different worldviews and, you know, being around each other and being kind of a melting pot of influence and things like that. It's like me being who I am and teaching kids real things about life and about attitude and about work ethic and about following instructions. Like I, I feel like the majority of the meaning I get in my job is not teaching my subject area. It's teaching people how to be better people. Hmm which is not so much education as it is just, <laughs> I mean, it is education, but not so much in the academic sense. Right. As maybe sometimes people think this is what teachers do. It's like, no, the kids who are good academically, who are smart cookies and go on to be engineers and doctors, like they come into school ready to become that almost. Right. <laughs> like it, it seems like, teachers do a good job of encouraging those kids who are already kind of on their way to doing that. Um, but there are some kids who are like, Hey, I want to be a welder. And I think that's what I'm going to be <laughs> like. What am, what am I going to do with that? Yeah. They're like, I don't know if that makes sense. I want to weld. But so why am I sitting here in uh, why am I here? Yeah. Right. Art history. <laughs> thing. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I think, in a sense, I kind of agree with you in that I, my experience has kind of shown that I think the home life and the, the culture that mom and dad establish regarding just life in general, but also regarding academics has a really strong effect, has a stronger effect on the kids motivation and disposition toward education more so than the school does. And that hundred percent. And I, I don't want to completely concede the value of a great teacher or a great school, um, but I I do agree that it's secondary to the home life. Right. But um, 
but yeah, and 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 what you mentioned about um, yeah, like educating the whole child, like that's also it's kind of funny because I feel that similarly as well. In like, I'm a chemistry teacher, and it's like, yes, I, I'm interested in talking about electrons and uh, chemical reactions and you know stuff like that. But man, I really want you to just love learning, and I really want you to be a hard worker, and I really want you to be able to collaborate with other people um, and have good social skills and and things like that. Like those are things that I'm always looking to, um, to try to infuse into the chemistry classroom as opposed to just, you know, and I tell my kids from the beginning, I'm like, I understand that not all of you like chemistry and not all of you like science. And I go, that's okay. Like, even though I'm a chemistry teacher, I can appreciate that this subject area is not for everyone. But working hard and giving your best effort and learning to do difficult things and and all of these other kind of more character-based skills, I guess, um, like I think that applies to all of you. And so, yeah, I think think there are deeper things than just learning topics in school. Do you guys have a big push for like social-emotional, like SEL learning out there? Like we have a big one where... They're trying, where, like, I feel like education is starting to catch up with the idea of, oh, there's more to education, but they're calling it social emotional learning and trying to grasp what they can and put it into education. Do you guys have a big push for that in the Midwest? Um, it, I would say broadly, yes. I think that my, I mean, my perspective is that that's a national kind of push that the SEL, the PBIS and all of that other which stuff. Um, to yeah. piggyback on that, like as someone who's actually looking at SEL curriculum, because we are mandated to do that uh, in our charter. And it is, you know, to go back to your point, Daniel, which I absolutely agree with because I see it. Um, the, it, the irony is never lost on me that when I'm trying to help a struggling student, struggling student and I and I reach out to the parent to see what we can do to partner together to fix it the parent is uh MIA uncommunicative um late absent whatever it is and you're like wow this is exactly like the student I'm dealing with <laughs> you know trees and apples Ouch. you know like uh <laughs> they don't go but apart. yeah and um but SEL, social emotional learning, is such an interesting thing as you look at this curriculum and it's like, man, there was a time, I'm pretty sure, when this was not the teacher's job to teach kids how to look people in the eye and shake hands and say good morning. But now that responsibility is starting to be shoveled onto a teacher's plate, which I find a very interesting change in the educational landscape, like that parent partnerships with schools it's no longer doesn't even seem to be expected on a national level even so much so to the point where it's like schools are becoming almost like a you know like a secondhand parenting like it's going to be the school's job to make my kid who I want my kid to be so it's a little bit sad to see this kind of like you know this shuffling off of 
what seems to be what what used to be in a former day parental responsibilities to now educational institutions responsibilities. Um, I'm looking at social emotional learning curriculum, and I'm like, wow, this seems like great conversations to have around the dinner table, not during fifth period after lunch. Yeah, not that it's bad to have those conversations at fifth period after lunch, but the conversations almost seem juvenile. Like even at the, the, the age group that I teach, you know, sixth grade, I'm like, wow, do we not know this at this age? Like what happened? I wonder. <laughs> yeah. It seems to me that uh, a lot of things that are dropped by culture or family life are expected to be picked up by the educational system. Hmm. And so I, I don't think that, the growth in SEL and these other things are a result of people going like, Oh my gosh, there's other things that are important for education. I, right. I personally view it as, Oh wow. We have all these kids in public school that don't do this or don't know how to do this or choose not right. to do this. And so we just need another educational program to fix a cultural problem. Right. That's a good, that yeah, that's a good way to right say it. Right on. <laughs> uh, that's just my perspective on it, which I yeah. guess we can kind of transition to that too. So is there any value or is it a different, have you seen anything different in church schools or Christian schools where you don't have this kind of problem? Is there something distinct about a Christian education? No, Christian education is perfect. There's, there's no problems, right? You put Christian on something and yeah, your problems are gone. Oh. Right, Ben? Why are you <laughs> oh, laughing, honey? Oh, yeah, What's sure. that? Why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to put my finger here on something, but um, yeah, I'd be curious. I, I have, I went through a church school um, and I, I don't know, I guess, unless you guys want to talk, I'll just add this is that I went to a church school and the church school that I graduated from really values um, in the vision statement, it basically says that the purpose of this school is discipleship. And, mm. and, and another way of saying that is basically like spiritual development or character development that we are Christians. Mm. We have, we live our lives, um, based on the Bible and we worship and surrender to Jesus Christ. And we want our kids to grow up in a process where they learn to love Jesus and follow Jesus and worship him in everything they do. And so we're going to use the educational process to facilitate that aspect of spiritual growth. Um, and I think there's value to that and there's other things that don't seem to always work out. Um, I, I don't know. I can comment more on that in a little bit, but I'm curious what your guys experience because you've both taught at private Christian schools. I'm curious what your experience mm -hmm. with that looks like. I think there's a difference also, even between the like church school and then like Christian schools, like the real big ones. Um, because the church schools, I feel like you get that, you do get that discipleship on a personal level because the numbers are smaller within a church. You're all built on the same foundations, right? You're all walking life with each other often and nearly daily sometimes, you know, six days a week instead of seven, you know, instead of five days a week. Um, and then what I have found at the Christian schools that I've worked with is, um, like we try and get that. We try and integrate that discipleship model the best we can. We try and integrate also the best academics and be excellent in that. Um, but it's hard because you also have a lot of people on a lot of different value systems. Hmm. 
Yeah, I I mean to I think to to bounce off that too is that I mean I like what you just described as your church is and I think that's what Kaylin was getting at too, is like there's something about church schools as opposed to just Christian schools that actually do that better. Like as in where I don't see the point, honestly, of a Christian school sometimes is when it is just Christian slapped onto a school, but it's otherwise, um, you know, almost, dare I say, like unequally yoked um, in the fact that it is uh, it is trying to be, um, it is so focused on academics that it drops the spiritual aspect of their identity uh, more often than not. And to me, the only benefit to being in a Christian school, like if I were trying to decide for my family between a Christian school and any other school would be, I find, I would find the spiritual aspect of the school, the spiritual formation, the holistic education uh, and development of my child. I would find that to be critical and integral to their to their education and not like some kind of cherry on top the cherry on top christian school kind of drives me crazy where it's like look if this is just pulling time away from what you'd rather be doing educational wise then why not just save yourself the financial burden of being a private school and you know go public go charter you know what i mean like just what, what what's the difference really um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like if you're going to be a Christian school, you know, get the whole kit and caboodle, you know, just like, you know, no, all, no holds barred, you know, just, uh, worship, praise, Bible, um, go at everything from a, from a biblical point of view, um, make that a priority. Um, and I think what what Kayleen was getting at too is that I I know I've seen this in some Christian schools where it's hard to be a missional school um, without suffering some major potential cultural ramifications of that. Hmm. Um, uh, that's interesting. What do you, I think I know what you mean, but for the sake of the listeners, what do you mean by missional school? Um, you know, when you because there this is the big. You know, debate I've heard in in several Christian schools, and definitely the one that I was at is, well, um, we have these kids who are not Christian who want to be a part of this Christian uh, environment, and this is the parents speaking, of course. Rarely, actually, is the is the kid actually advocating for this. The students not advocating for this. Um, they are uh, unbelievers, but they want to be a part of this Christian school for whatever reason, you know, maybe school sizes or, you know, the parents have this idea that if their kid is just around the right people, um, you know, they'll be more, um, positively influenced. Um, and so missional being with the school would see it as their mission to, well, convert or something like somehow during the ed- educational process of a day, um, this, um, unbelieving student would become eventually a believing student. Um, now that may be possible in the case of a school who, 
as I painted before, a Christian school who takes the Christian part of their name, very, their, their name or their mission, uh, very seriously. Uh, and it's something that is just routinely talked and really driven at and part of their culture and part of their, um, discipline, part of, you know, their, what their, their, their day-to-day activities, their values, their core values, things like that. Um, but what really more often happens is when you have a, an unbalanced number of kids, who don't have these Christian values, you don't have this Christian worldview and they get with, uh, they get mingle with the student body. They actually, they are rarely influenced, but are great influencers, um, <laughs> in it. Yeah. And it kind of puts some wrinkles in the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, I, I know that's been a conversation at the church school that, that I graduated from of some people thinking that the purpose of the school is to evangelize and that that's the word I'm looking for. Yep. Yeah. So we're, we want to yeah. get non-Christians in the Christian school so that they can get saved, which may sound like a great idea, but I think in practice it, it rarely works out. Yeah. I've worked in both a, the, the terms I've heard is like Jake said, a missional school. And then the other one, which is like the opposite is like a covenant school, Hmm, a covenant school being we partner with the parents and we're supposed to all be on the same foundation. And then there's a missional school, which means we, to some degree, we allow in other students for the purpose of evangelizing. And I think those are two very foundational things that like when me and one of my teacher friends were talking about starting a church school, we had to discuss that, you know, and we're still in discussions about it because it's a foundational thing that can't be changed halfway through, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, and you know, one thing to add to this, I think the reason it doesn't work and nobody likes to talk about this. I mean, this is even denominationally dividing. So I, uh, I realize I might be poking the bear a little bit here, um, but the the Bible is pretty clear about how uh, the, the the how the power of the gospel demonstrates itself, and it's not through persuasive words of wisdom, as Paul says, but demonstration through power, um, which is awesome. But considering that school as an idea, as an academic facility uh considering that school is basically the the hall of persuasive words of wisdom it it just seems like you know uh kids who have yet to experience the redeeming power of the gospel are not likely to experience it for the first time in bible class not likely can can it happen sure has it happened i'm positive but it's not it's not likely, nor do I believe it is, um, you know, something that's happening all the time. Uh, and so when, when Christianity or when the gospel is something that is only at, ever academically perused or investigated, uh, but not actually sought after like on a spiritual level, um, as it is in church, as it is in real day-to-day relationships and discipleship, then I... I just struggle sometimes, especially when I was at, you know, um, my Christian school, I, I struggled to see how, um, some of these con- sought after conversions were really, um, a possibility or a likelihood. 
Yeah. And I, I think maybe another way of saying it is that salvation is not an intellectual process. Right. Yes. So you can't teach someone into the kingdom of God, that God has to translate them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's a spiritual yes. process. And then depending if yep. you're Armenian or Calvinist, um, you know, you can debate how much persuasion factors into that. But I think, you know, between those two uh, schools of thought, um, it ultimately um, it ultimately relies on God's power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, either way you think of it, it just seems like a, a, a school setting. Um, well, it's just funny because we were talking about, you know, before the public school scenario. It's like you have all these different worldviews and all these different backgrounds coming together to hear from each other, to learn from each other. And while it's funny because I can, I, can, I can see the value in that. But at the same time, the strongest value to a Christian school is actually to have a more um, apostolic uh, Acts Church picture of it, which is coming together in one accord, not multiple accords, uh, multiple Honda accords. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? So it's like this weird kind of juxtaposition there suddenly where it's like, wait, is it a melting pot or is it one accord? Like, how does that, how does that go? Right. Yeah, I've been I've actually been reading some interesting books on um, Christian education. Um, one of them is talking about the philosophy of it's called the philosophy of the Christian curriculum, and I'm about halfway mm. through this book, and it's basically just going through what makes an educational cur- curriculum Christian, like what do, what makes Christian math class different than non Christian math class. You have to send that to me. Um, it's a, I'm highly interested. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys need to read this book. And it's it's it has short little chapters, which is really nice. Um, Therefore, I will I, read it. Yeah. I think Christian math is like 70 times 7 equals infinity. Yeah. Right? Equals, like, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. We only deal in like 7s and 3s and the occasional. T- yeah. <laughs> complete numbers. And if you dare write the number six three times in a row, by goodness. Yeah. <laughs> your are attention. Uh, has eternal ramifications, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that goes on your transcript. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, this, <laughs> this book was written a while ago, um, but it's really cool basically just talking about how the and, – and this is kind of what's informing my views on public school education, but it's just talking about how – our culture is very humanistic and that everything is about us. And so, you know, two plus two equals four. I mean, you could argue like, well, that's true for the Christian and that's true for the atheist. But the question is like, well, why does two plus two equals four matter? And Mm. what do we do with that? And what's the purpose of even talking about it? Um, You know, or maybe an easier class topic might be history you know, we can talk about things that happened in history. Um, but was this historical character figure, were they a good person? Did they have good ideas or bad ideas? Is the decisions they made a good thing or bad thing for culture? Um, you know, we, um, or we can talk about movements and, and things that happened in history, um, or, or even science. Um, I was kind of blown away, um, 
by he was talking about he actually spent a lot of chapters talking about science because science is kind of a a god of our culture so to speak where it's like whatever the <laughs> science says is is what we're going to do and science and um, and we kind of assume things like well science is the way we find truth like if we can do an experiment and figure it out then we'll know the answers to to life or somehow it's 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 either god or science drives me crazy yeah yeah, and and it's 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 this idea of what is science for? Can science tell us truth? Does science tell us what we should know? And then we also assume things like humans could be objective, and that our worldview or our presuppositions about man's ability to reason is not affected by his sin nature, um, and things along that line. Along those lines, I'm reminded of Romans one that says that that man is a suppressor of truth and how even if we knew the truth, it doesn't mean we would submit to it and do the right thing. There's still a sin nature in us that, um, that causes us to want to suppress the truth, even when it's right in front of our face. Um, but I don't know. And then also like the, there's a little chapter on music on talking about how in the humanist worldview, music is for the purpose of the student. I do music because it helps me express myself. It helps me learn about other cultures. It helps me develop my mind and this and that. It has nothing to do with worshiping God. It has nothing to do with displaying his glory or his beauty. Mm. It's all about me and my development. And so I think I'm just, I'm finding this very enlightening um, in how I think a lot of schools can call themselves Christian because we have a Bible class and we, and we worship and have a chapel kind of, you know, Jake, you kind of mentioned that earlier, but that does, that's kind of just putting like a Christian veneer on a humanist curriculum. If the way you teach history and the way you teach science and music is not influenced and submitted to the authority of Christ, then I think you're limited in, how Christian your education really is. Mm, Yeah. Right on. One thing I like, or that I, you know, that I've seen both Christian schools I've worked at do is they do what's called biblical integration. Right. So every, they try and get every lesson. And what I've been more doing is every unit somehow doing a biblical integration, not like, at one school, they were like, every single lesson, you have to do something. So I just started putting like, especially as a young teacher, I was putting like verses at the bottom of my lesson plans. I was like, okay, I guess we'll talk about this or we'll talk about that. And sometimes you hit it and sometimes you did it. And it felt just like a plug and chug type thing, like checking the box, which isn't what biblical integration should be about. Um, at another school, it's about how are you implementing biblical principles and moral and morals and stuff like that into it. But what I've been doing is more, okay, my essential question for my unit, like my big wonder is like, how does God view, or like, how do, what's a biblical model of leadership and how do we see it compared and contrasted in this book? You know, yeah, things like that. But even then, you know, that's, it's hard to do on a large scale and make sure it's happening in classrooms all the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, the more, the more I've been thinking about this and and reading about this, um, I mean, it's good to have a Bible verse or maybe a prayer at the beginning of class, but if, if Christ is not integrated into the lesson itself, 
and I'm not saying like you just have to say the word Jesus every you know every class period. <laughs> I'm, I'm ta- and what I'm talking about is like the assumptions you make going into the lesson. And so, like for example, mm-hmm. like an assumption we make a lot is that English and literature is subjective. And maybe we read this mm-hmm. poem and we go, okay, do you like this or do you not like this? Is this interesting to you? Is this not interesting to you? Is this exciting or not exciting? And we're setting, and so we're presupposing that there's no objective standard of beauty. There's no objective standard of what good is, um, which is not biblical because God is the author of all things that are beautiful and all things that are good. Um, And God defines it. And I I was listening to a, a Christian author on a podcast and he was talking about how God has characters he likes and he has stories he likes. They're in the Bible. And, and we have to submit to the type of characters, the type of actions, the type of story arcs, so to speak, that God inspires. And we actually do have something objective to say about what is good art and what is bad art. And, you know, I'm not talking about like, is blue better than red? I'm talking about um, you know, like, does God like rebellion or, you know, uh, kids that dis dishonor their parents? Is that a good story? You know, something like that dishonor their parents. Yeah. And then, and then that's the win. Like they, they overcome or maybe a story about a wife who subverts her husband's, um, you know, benevolent authority and is like, yeah, I'm a feminist and I'm, I'm going to destroy my family and be my, my own my own person, you know, like that kind of story. Like, is that, yeah. Where does that fit into God's perspective? Well, I think, you know, sometimes we're like, uh, is it good? Is it bad? You know? And it, and I a hundred percent agree with that. Like, you know, being, I love what you said also talking about why things matter. Right. Cause that's something that is just like how, in my mind, it's like, man, the Christian education has such an opportunity to have these actual real moral discussions um you know where so many educational institutions just shy away from it uh, out of fear of offense or um of you know intruding on different religions whatever but it's like man we have such an opportunity to talk about what the big things that matter like why is this important is this good is this true um you know if it's not true where where's the lie Uh, But I think when it comes down to like, how do I know the difference between good and bad? It's like, I think everything comes down to it either adds to, it edifies, or it subtracts, or or destroys, you know? So, I mean, you you think about anything that it's like rebellion. Rebellion is divisive. It destroys. It, It puts enmity between God and man and enmity between brother and sister. Um... You know, godly things multiply, they reproduce, they're good, they add to, they build up. Um, and so even looking at art, it's like, okay, is this is this edifying? Is this building something that that builds? Or is this something that is actually destructive, that is taking away, that is subtracting from something, that is divisive? I mean, just looking at things like that, um, th- that's objective, that's not subjective. Right. You know, things either add or they subtract. <laughs> and and I think, you know, humans are smart enough to recognize those things like, oh, yeah, this is destructive. 
or this is edifying. This is this is building something. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I could maybe throw a wrench in that and say like, well, well, then what do you say to God when he speaks to the Israelites and says, destroy the Canaanites, kill all the animals, burn the village, and don't let any and don't leave any of it left. Or when um, the prophet Samuel go, I can't remember what king he chopped up. He like walks in and he's like, you are a <laughs> king that is rebelling against God. And, and I am obeying God and actually doing a good thing by chopping you into little pieces in your throne room. Um, right. And so, and so, you know, we could say like, oh, well, that's bad. He killed someone. It's like, okay, well, maybe, but who decides? And by what standard are we going to judge this, judge this story, judge these actions? Um, well, yeah, there has to be an ultimate authority, right? And that's, I mean, that's where even, you know, good old Plato, well, I think he sort of missed the mark. I think most philosophers kind of come to that conclusion where they're like, well, somebody, some thing, capital T, has to have the final say on something. If there is truth, right. something has to have the final say that exists, that is a power beyond humans and their human condition. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a, if you're humanist then man we decide if it adds or subtracts for us for our culture for for our society then that's good or bad and we right. we become our own definition of good our own definition of truth um and and we and then we even go as far as defining ourselves um right which is not biblical and if and and it's those assumptions that are underneath the curriculum and underneath the lesson that I think determine whether it's a Christian, is this a Christian uh, history class or is this a humanist history class? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's just been an interesting thing to think about. And um, yeah, I'll have to send you guys this book. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to read that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, speaking of like underlying things in curriculums, one of the other, like if we're talking about curriculums in general, one of the other ones, so Jake's been talking a lot, a lot about classical education as he's been going through school. And so I started reading like, okay, what is Charlotte Mason and what do they believe and why do they believe it and things like that? Um, because the one that I've been running with for a while, uh, was Montessori methods, yeah, right? Which is also very much like. It's like, what do you believe about the student? And the student has the ability to um, to learn through experience and learn through play and learn through sensory. And just there's so many methods out there that it's it's a uh, I told Jake, I was like, I'm struggling because there's some things I like about classical, but there's some things I like about Montessori. And I wish I could just choose one, <laughs> right. you know, and just be like, this is the one. That I believe. Well, that's in. okay, this honey. It's it's want. your truth, right? It's your truth. <laughs> oh, oh wait. Oh, oh wait. wait. We were just talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast about Montessori education, and I need eventually after I read all the fifty books that are on my list, um, I want to look into the origins of. I mean, read Montessori. Um, 
um, and what she thought about education, where that came from, because I think yeah. it's ignorant for us to look at these different approaches and say, oh, these are all just technical differences. Like, oh, yeah, we use this activity and you use that activity, but it doesn't really matter. It's like, meh. The reason that these approaches come into existence is because there's some underlying assumption about the nature of humankind and the nature of truth and how mm -hmm. those two things uh, engage, intersect. Yeah, intersect and engage with each other. And so, yeah, um, yeah. and I mean, the, the whole reason that public schools were even invented in the 1840s is because Horace Mann believed mm -hmm. that man was inherently good, that he could be perfected through education. And so we needed to provide education to all people so that they could turn out as moral citizens and so that they could go out and benefit the Commonwealth or just the culture at large. Mm -hmm. And so he advocated for, okay, the government needs to pay for this. The government needs to regulate this because of his beliefs about the nature of truth and the nature of, of, of man. And so it's yeah. like, we don't just arbitrarily get these different approaches or these different models. They come from a worldview. And so, oh, yeah. so and someone's experience, which that worldview all these years later, I was just talking to my fellow teachers about this has really over the generations only served to cause major academic and educational inflation as in like the, the, the everyday average bachelor's degree holder is probably not the same uh, intellectual capacity or level as a bachelor's degree holder two gener two generations ago, but it's the same degree. Yeah. Um, and same thing with the masters is because our whole, the whole entire system is like an assembly line that is basically trying to throttle and push kids into this. Like you got to get, your college degree. But now, I mean, there's so many jobs that are requiring this, like, you know, this nebulous bachelor's degree for you to do it. Um, mm -hmm. and yet has nothing to do with what the person actually does in a day-to-day -day life. And so it just makes these degrees and these academic accomplishments, the value of them is inflated. Um, and everyone sort of knows it. And I think it really is a question worth asking, you know, uh, maybe for another conversation, but it makes me think about it. It's just like, okay, who needs to be educated at the level that we, our system demands that every child be educated? Right. If it isn't actually feeding the moral human and it's not doing it doing the job it needs to do uh, in regards to, um, you know, creating these upstanding citizens that actually, you know, contribute back to, you know, Commonwealth, then what is it? And therefore, and, and why are we doing it? Right. I think, I think a lot of this just comes back to what is, what is the purpose of education? And the answer to that question is, is theological. It's, it's almost religious yeah. in nature. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. people, um, struggle to, to see that. Um, but, but yeah, it's just been something I've been puzzling with. Cause like as a Christian, the purpose of education is not to make you a good person. 
um, because that's that's an unbiblical idea. Now, I think Christian education can inform the way you think, which then translates into how you act and, and your worldview and all of that. But if you're really a Christian, then the process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit is what makes you a good person. And then good person is defined in terms of scriptural truth, not according to humanistic truth. Um, mm. But yeah, and so I don't know. I've been I've been talking about this with with other people in in my community too, or other people in my church as well. And I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of questioning this idea that educate the per, the Christian education is about discipleship, um, which I don't know might sound kind of well that probably does sound controversial to a lot of Christians that I know. Um, but discipleship is what the family does and what the church does. Mm. Like your right. mom and dad are the primary people that should be discipling the kids. Yeah. Correct. And then the church comes around and heavily influences that process, right? We believe in yeah. relational living. And, you know, even though I may be a dad of my kids, like there's other fathers and other fathers in my church family that also influence my kids and help disciple and raise them. Um, but I don't know. I had a friend who's, who put it really well that I think some people view as the, the school as a branch of the church. And mm -hmm. so the school is coming around to help parents disciple their kids, which I, I mean, it's, it's a Venn diagram. Like there's overlap. Like obviously the school has to discipline and has to have behavioral standards and all of that. So there is something to be said for the school addressing moral issues and the moral development of the student. But I, I, I'm starting to move away from, I mean, maybe I'll change my, my mind later on, but for now I'm kind of moving away from this idea that the, the first goal of the school is to disciple kids and then academics come later. It seems to me that it's flipped that the school should be concerned with, no, we're going to teach you the, the academics according to a Christian worldview and we're going to equip you in these specified ways so that you can carry out the, the mandate to go subdue the earth and establish the kingdom mm -hmm. of God in all of these areas. Yeah. But the discipleship starts at home and then is in the church and then maybe is lived out and is informed by the school in the way you think. Um, but I don't think that's the... I don't think that should be the school's number one job. I think parents in the church disciple and the school is there to teach and to train how you think, which overlaps with discipleship, but is not the totality of that. Yeah. That word that you just said about equipping. I mean, I think that's a great word. It's mm -hmm. like ac academics equip you to be, um, you know, more efficient at, XYZ. They could even equip you with tools to help the way you think. You know, when it comes to, you know, English language arts, for example, and like reading, like the, the benefit that reading has for your vocabulary and what vocabulary has for equipping, equipping your mind um, to have your, your brain thinks in language, right? So the more language you have, the more thoughts you have to process verbally. Um, that's equipping, right? 
Right. But it has little to do, you know, if, if, if discipling is the goal, you miss some of the equipping. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a sound bite right there. If, yeah. yeah, I just, I'm sure there's more to that thought, but mm-hmm. ironically, that's, that's the far reaches of it right now. But I think there's something there. There's a little, there's a little nugget of it that I might just be scratching at for the next couple yeah. of days. Now that well, you're and this, talking about that. This touches on, I think an experience that I've had is that some, sometimes if schools are hyper-focused on discipleship, the academics suffer in quality. Hmm. And, and I think maybe that's what you're getting at is that, if we're trying to do discipleship, the equipping and by equipping, you mean the academic um, training suffers. Right. Um, but again, coming to the why of like, well, why equip? And I think that's where the Christian school can really come in to play Yeah. because it's not just equipping. So you can be a better person. Right. So you can think more highly of yourself you know, or, or so you can make your mark on the world. It's because a better equipped you is a better disciple maker and a better equipper. Uh, and what this is, this is a call that Jesus has called you to. Um, this is uh, a potential that God wants you to walk in. So, I mean, again, just big reasons, big, big capital W wise like reason for doing it. Um, I, I mean, I think that's the primary difference between a Christian school and any other school is just like you've been saying all along is like the core reason why we do what we do. And the very core fundamental foundational belief that we have behind the nature of man and the nature of education is different. And it's not so much the what we do's that are different. But I would imagine that the why, that golden circle why, quoting Simon Sinek there, like that that golden circle why and how, those those things are going to be different, I would hope. It has to be, or else the Christian label is meaningless. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. I like, um, I'll send you this link to the, the website for the Association of Christian Classical Schools. Um, they mm. talk about this Greek word called padea, which is from Ephesians where it says fathers, um, raise up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, the nurture and admonition, the Greek word is padea. And they talk about how that, what, what Paul is talking about in that Bible verse is culture, kingdom culture, raise your mm. kids in kingdom culture. And so wow. what I'm, the conclusion I'm kind of coming to over the past several weeks is that the purpose of Christian education is twofold. It's, well, it's maybe two steps to instill Christian culture in you through your thinking to get you to think Christianly in every subject so that you can then go out and establish kingdom culture in the world. And so, Mm -hmm. so like if we're learning literature and, and language arts, like you were saying, it's not so that you can just say fancy words and feel good about yourself. It's no, we want to teach you what godly stories look like, what godly writing looks like, what, what, what godly narrative looks like so that you can go out. And if you're going to write stories, um, you can establish 
those stories and tell those stories and speak to the mm. culture in that domain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can understand that history is a story and that God is involved um, and all of those things. Like, like that's Christian language arts. It's not um, just so that you can learn about, you know, different genres and then have an opinion about it. It's so that, no, so that this subject gets submitted to the authority of Christ and that through you, you establish Christian godly language arts in whatever you do. Right. Exactly. So that's solid. Yeah. I don't know. And so if you, I don't know. And if you wanted, if you can do that in a church school or in a private Christian school or in homeschool, that's great. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just this idea of is church for, or is school for discipleship or is there an academic side? Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of people we know that would have different views. And so, yeah, I was just interested in talking to you guys about that. Yeah. I've been having a lot of those big why questions, even with homeschooling, like what is, what is our why? Like going into it, I was like, okay, I know our why is we want to build her character. We want to build her, relationship with Jesus. I need to be there more often with the younger kids, you know, to have that, that like time as mom and kid and what I have to give to them and to just be around them and all those types of things. But I'm also looking at like, again, how do we, as she gets older and we're trying to train her, you know, school has that, like, I like what you were saying about how the primary idea of school is like the academics and how you can be excellent in all these areas. Right. So if that's the key reason over there, then you have the home whose key area is discipline and character and who you are and how you handle those things. It's like, how do how do you, how does homeschooling work? Like how do you become excellent in all the academics? If you're not a specialist in those things, you know, when there's other people who would be more specialized in it, I don't know. There's, there's just like, I have all those questions, you know, it really comes down to that. Why? Like if the why is truly character above all, it's like, okay, then homeschool because you're developing that character hands on and you're around you're you have the ability to serve more often and be around people in the church serving more often, you know, if you have a busy church or something. Yeah. Um, but then it's also like, okay, what about the academics? Yeah, and if, and if you want to push that yeah. to the extreme, you could say, well, if it's about character, it's like, well, then don't go to high school. Just go, you know, learn your reading, writing, arithmetic, and and then go get a job or or start a family. Yeah. You know? it's like, yeah, which could mm-hmm. could be, which is fine, and I'm that's not wrong, but right. but then it raises the question of, okay, well, then why are we doing all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I think it can be. Well, I think, yeah, you know, a lot of the reason that, and this is an unfortunate truth that I think like, you know, people are kind of uncomfortable talking about, and it's gotten to a point where, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it right now. But one thing I've realized is that one thing I think homeschooling will teach you is that there's the myth that your, your, uh, you know, students who are homeschooled are somehow socially less well-adjusted than others. And while there are some, sure, <laughs> who are not, like, like they're, they're surprisingly not the norm, right? I think I would argue you're, you're, you're more likely to meet perfectly well-adjusted homeschoolers 
that you would never know that they were homeschooled, you know, outside of them telling you. Um, and I hate to put it this way, but outside of also them maybe being a couple grade levels smarter than the average student, which, I mean, the the stats kind of show that. Like, at, at, there's like a certain point where, like, you know, they tend to be higher level readers and higher level writers. Um, interestingly, they also tend to be lower math. I'm not sure what that's about. But, um, weird. But all that to say is that there's this, you know, the the idea that it's possible and, you know, the, so much of the study supporting how important parents are to the role of education and one-on-one tutoring and and smaller groups and more timely feedback and holistic education and education and educating you know, the child from like, you know, the inside out sort of thing and them seeing us seeing all the values in that, you know, to, to kind of go back to your question, it's like, okay, well, if that's all it is, then why are we doing all the extra stuff, the bells and whistles? And the unfortunate thing I think about, you know, the educational environments that we work in is that education has basically become mandated childcare. Mm, interesting. You know, where it's like society is actually basically encouraging and basically forcing children out of the homes from under their own parents' eyes and noses. And it's become, it's at a point where, you know, that's what parents want and that's what parents expect and that's what parents feel they are entitled to. I am entitled to have somebody else raise my child and have them out of the house. Um, the other part, the other side of that, though, is also the just the way the economy is right now. Kayleen and I are one of these families. Kayleen and I both have to work to make our payments on our little house. You know, it's becoming more and more uh, increasingly common for both parents to have to be out of the house working full time um, to afford the things that they want. And so this whole sort of lifestyle of, uh, you know, education is so much more than just education. It's literally um, the way we do education is affecting how families are being raised and how families are even in relationship with each other. So I, it's, I think, you know, the questions that parents have to ask themselves about their their reason for educating and their reason for sending their kids to a school or not sending them. I mean, all of it comes down to not like, what do I want my student to be? But it all like it's so many questions. It's what kind of parent do I want to be? What kind of family do I want to have? What am I willing to sacrifice and lay down for my family? And what am I not? All of these questions, massive questions, go into this little, you know, this little envelope about talking about education. Like, it's it's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. It reminds me also, I was, I was reminded that in, I think it's Germany and Sweden, it is illegal to homeschool. Um, that, that it has gone to the point wow. of the government's like, no, your kids are coming to our schools and we will not let you have a direct um, role in educating your kids, even if you wanted to, which is kind of crazy to think about. I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Wow. Fun fun stuff. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, I mean, all that to say is, you know, I've seen it firsthand that the parents' role in a child's education and their formation of how they think and how they behave and even the success and how they learn, um, it's kind of sad to see this cultural shift and uh, not an abatement of it, but actually truly an increase in this way of thinking that parent responsibility for raising children is diminishing day by day. And so teachers, but again, I'm, I'm not saying this to complain. Um, I'm saying this as a, one of the primary reasons I feel compelled and called to be a teacher because, you know, just like as Jesus says, it's like, Hey, you know, don't forsake these little children. Let them come to me, you know, and just like, just my heart for these kids who they have a society and parents who are more than ready to just abandon them to whatever to, you know, to be raised by villages. They don't know, (laughs) you know, like, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, I want to be there where that's happening. I don't want to be, you know, somebody who's like, ah, gross boycott that. It's like, no, put me on the front lines. Like I would rather have, I would rather have Christian educators be there in the thick of it on the front lines with those kids who are, you know, basically just being like, you know, thrown out there like, oh, we'll see what happens to you. You know, here's a dip, deep end, you know, start kicking. You know, it's like, I want to be there. Yeah. I want to be there because th- these kids are not choosing this for them. You know, they're, <laughs> you know, they're not even old enough to understand, you know, their, their algebra word problems, right? Let alone <laughs> the ins and outs of a society and how society is figuring out how they want to educate people. So, it's like, man, we just gotta, you know, be there for these kids. Yeah, yeah, and that, and I think that speaks to the fact that Christians still have a place in public education or non-Christian institutions. Um, but and and I view that, and that's, I mean, that's kind of where I am. Um, but but I view that as like missionary work. And so it is. should we, yeah. should we have missionaries in ungodly institutions? Absolutely. Do, but does that mean the church broadly capital C should be upholding and building more of those? I don't think so. And so I think there's multiple joints supplying in this area where some people are missionaries in the in the non-Christian domains. But then I also want to have conversations with people and probably for myself, even at at some point in my career, want to move to a place where I'm building something that I think is Christian at its foundation. Um, Personally, I don't, I don't see myself being in public school forever. Um, There's something in me that wants to build something that I think is Christian down to the funding and the purpose and the, how yeah. math and like all of that too. So, but yeah, there's multiple facets to, to this landscape. Different joints supplying. That almost sounds biblical. If not, you should write that down. That sounds good. Yeah. If it's I not in the Bible, I'll add it in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Talk to Eugene Peterson. I think he's, he's figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, Eugene. I've never met you, but I'm sure you're awesome.
That's awesome. That's Just nice. Out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like we, so we've been talking for like an hour. I feel like we've just opened up a bunch of different conversations. I feel like there's more questions than answers, but uh, this has been good. I feel like you guys just need to come on another time and we just need to continue the conversation. But um, Kayleen, or I don't know if you have any other closing thoughts, but I think this has been good. I think Mm -hmm. these conversations are really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think almost like the, the conclusion we came to at the end of last time was like, is there really one way, you know, and that like with two income houses, it's hard when you, you really don't have a choice when society is like all the inflation, all those, you know, buzzer words. But with all that, it's like, where trying to gather my thoughts here. There's so many, like you said, so a lot of open conversations here. And did we get any closer to answering this question? I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's like a podcast series all by itself that we never really get the answer to. It's like it really is different for every family. I can say you up in a school, uh, we're sending our kids there. <laughs> I like all the things you're saying about like where are we, how are we really portraying the love of Christ through our curriculum and not just slapping the the label on it, you know? And I think that's a really good challenge for all of our schools. Yeah. I have a lot to think on. <laughs> well, I, I will send you guys a fat text of links and quotes and stuff that I've been reminded of, um, in our conversation. So always more to look into. I like fat text. Yeah. A juicy one. <laughs> it's a fat, juicy text. <laughs> Can't wait. Awesome. <sighs> Well, thanks for your time, guys. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I look forward to many more in the future. Cool. Yeah. It's good to see you. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.